What's up, everybody? This is Graham here with the second episode of the podcast. I hope everybody enjoyed their week and had a wonderful, wonderful time. So the plan is going to be that every every week on Sunday, this podcast will come out. And so as I go through this process, it's it's partly an exploration and learning how what things work and trying to get you the best content and distill down what I've learned over the last few years doing what I do. But obviously, currently what I'm focusing on as uh, breaking down the whole body to try and figure out how to get the most effective movement, training, and programming tips and tactics for you to be able to improve your overall coordination. And one of the most important things I'm passionate about is helping average people become more athletic. And so as I've spent a lot of time working with people, one of the biggest things I've noticed is that it can get down to a very binary focus about the human body and saying how much muscle do you have versus how much fat do you have and it's as though the whole goal is to look like a window like this perfect mannequin in a window and to me and a lot of the clients i work with there's so much more to life than just looking a certain way obviously that's part of it you want to be able to look the part but if you can't move if you feel awkward when you run if you aren't able to get out and play with your kids if you aren't able to play the sport and do what you love to do because you're not confident in your motor control and ability, that's a problem to me. And so unfortunately, a lot of the information out there that's about athletics is geared towards elite level, the top 1%. And those guys are fantastic. That guys and girls are fantastic. But the majority of people would still benefit from this. And so a lot of what I've always thought about is in the same way they take the technology from race cars, the Formula One, the NASCAR, the top, top performing automobiles, and then they will take that technology and put it down to regular cars because it's the the most researched, well-developed tires, brakes, gas, fuel transmission, everything like that. I'm not a mechanic, so don't, uh, don't quote me on that, but that helps improve the regular standard of what automobiles are. And so that's what we want to do is take the highest standard for human performance, which is athleticism, and figure out how we can train better, move better, and live better. So the first part we're gonna always talk about is a, is a preparation, and so that's gonna be more how you can go about your daily life, and that's gonna cover things from food, nutrition. Last week we talked about the, uh, the 100% eating rule, which is kinda of how I view eating. This week we're gonna talk about stress, and then we'll go through a different body part, an assessment, strengthening, and mobility series, and then finish with some performance, how to apply that to your life. So um, this week we'll talk about stress. And so this is one I see a lot where people don't have a really good idea what stress is. And obviously everybody, when they think about stress, can think about, oh, I got work and I got a relationship, right? But those are two types of stress. And depending on who you ask, there's a lot of different um, categories that stress can fall under. I've found four that fit a broad description or of include most everything for people. There's physical, emotional, mental, and traumatic. And then within those, those, there can be time periods which they take place. And so they're chronic stressors and acute stressors. And so those are the easiest to describe. Obviously, chronic is a long-term thing, generally, generally associated with something that's out of your control versus an acute stress, which is a very short-term. In general, acute stresses are going to be very can be very healthy for you, okay? So those are gonna fall under any type of workout, any type of, let's say you didn't sleep well one night and you're under a little bit more stress because you didn't recover, or you haven't eaten, that fasting can mean excellent stress for you, or you work out, that can mean excellent stress, 
All of those things in very short doses can be fantastic because they force your body to grow, become a little more resilient, and they, they that's part of the reason the human body is as amazing as it is because it can respond and grow and change based on the environment we're in. Otherwise, every single time you went up a set of stairs, you get really sore because your body never got more used to it. So within that, breaking down the four different types of stresses are very important because what you want to know is that all stress causes the same mechanism in your body, and that is the release of cortisol. It doesn't matter if it's a very short term, you just got scared in a scary movie or somebody jumped out, or it's a long term, you just feel like your relation, whatever it is, I mean, you can name anything that you're not happy with your body, you've had a stressful relationship long term, any type of historical abuse, those things can last for years and years and years. So physical, there's four emotions, there's physical, four types of stress, physical, emotional, mental, and traumatic. Physical is anything that impacts your body, okay, that's going to be anything from a workout to an injury to physical labor, anything that puts your body under physical duress. Emotional stress is going to be things that affect your feelings, right? And so feelings in terms of had, sad, mad, happy, angry, those are going to be the main triggers for that. Mental stress, which can kind of core, can kind of overlap with emotional stress, but they're going to be things that cause anxiety, right? Emotion can cause anxiety, but they're not necessarily in the same category as other mental stressors like job problems, um, long-term feelings of appreciation for yourself whether or not you like yourself so and then there's finally is the traumatic and that can be like surviving a natural disaster a, like a significant loss or death or change in your life and so those are things that can change your life if you let's say you get robbed in the street at gunpoint those can be really really big stressors for you so the take home from all of this what I really want you to understand is that stress adds on top of other stress and so when you're looking at training and performance and asking the most from your body and trying to feel good, understand that working out is a stressor. So if you have a really hard day at work or you got fired or whatever it is, and then on top of that, you're having trouble at home, maybe you and your spouse or your partner or your kids or whatever it is aren't getting along. And then on top of that, you go and do a really hard workout and you kick ass at it. That's a lot for your body. And the odds are this, you know, you're going to burn the candle at both ends. And so the most important thing I'll talk about to the clients and people I work with is when you're in a really stressful environment, do what you can to mitigate the effects elsewhere. If you take an easy on a workout or training session one day, you're not going to lose your gains. Odds are you're going to have a better recovery that night and come back stronger, right? There is a thing as overtraining and that does build up to people. But just understand and mitigate your priorities at the moment. That does not mean that you ever say, I'm not going to work out because I'm stressed. It just means that you mitigate the intensity of what you are doing. Does that make sense? So thinking about in terms of stress, where training fits in. And, and that last analogy we'll talk about is when you look at people in the college system and even at high school level where at the end of the season, end of the semester and season, that's when they always want to do testing. If you're in a strength strength uh, strength coach, so, but that's also the same time that a lot of p a lot of classes, everybody's going to do their finals as well. So you see a maximal mental stress where they got to study for this test. I got to be at hundred percent because my grades and my graduation depend on it. But I'm also expected to go and perform a maximal physical capacity when I do this testing to see if I've improved, and that can be in some situations can 
uh, determine whether there are starting spots in different rosters. So understand that when you are combining massive stressors, you're not going to get the best in any one position if it's something you don't handle stress well, okay? So the challenge at the end of the day will be kind of talking about how to improve your stress reaction and how to mitigate that, but we'll get back to that. So we're going to keep going through the body, and this is the second part of this. Last week we talked about breathing your diaphragm um, because that is just a fundamental brace. You have to be able to brace your core and breathe well before you anything else. But we're going to work through, it's a 15 weeks, so we're going to work through, and this is week two, every joint in your body. So obviously that means and some are grouped together, but wrists and hands, then elbows, shoulders, scapula, neck, upper back, so the thoracic spine, spine rotation, lower back, and so that's gonna be more the flexion and extension. We've got our pelvic floor, we've got our hip internal rotation and external rotation, hip flexion, hip extension, your knees, your ankles, and your feet. All right, so we're gonna work through all of those, but this week we're starting with the wrists, okay? Wrists are simple, and yet very complex. And so what I want you is a brief overview of the anatomy is that there's eight bones in the palm of your hand, okay? And these are called the carpals. And they're, if you can kind of vision, so if you look at your forearm right now, there's two bones that run parallel to one another. One is the radius, one is the ulna. ulna. So if your palm is faced up, your ulna is on the inside, okay? It's on the inside, you can feel that knobbly part of your elbow all the way down your wrist, there's a bone there. And now on the other side is your radius. And the cool thing is when you flip your hand over so that the palm is face down, that bone on the outside flips over as well with it, okay? So if you're holding your palm up and then you bring your thumb over, the end of the radius travels with your thumb, so now it is crisscrossing. So where they were parallel, they're now intersecting at an X type of an angle, very cool. So those butt down, and end at the, where the base of the hand where these eight metacarpal or eight carpals are, okay? There's fancy names for each of them, not as important, but the point is that there's a lot of different moving parts. Within those, you get to the five long bones in your hand, the metacarpals, and then you've got your phalanges, which is the name for all your fingers and your toes, your phalanges. I didn't name them, just what it is. And so within that, so that's your hand, okay? Each of your fingers, your thumb has two, but each of the four fingers have three bones within them, the, the different uh, proximal, medial, distal, phalangeal, phalange bones. Um, so just look at your hand, you can see it a little bit and have a little bit more engagement. So the biggest thing people struggle with, well, they'll notice they'll have a wrist problem is gonna be when they're working or driving and they have their wrist in flexion. And so that's if your hand is bent, so your palm is down and you got this kind of pinching, so you're not opening it up, you're closing your wrist. Over time, you have what's called well, you have what's called a carpal tunnel, which is just a, it's like a sheath of fascia, which is a whole other topic. But basically, it's just a, a small opening, and within that, all the ligaments and tendons and nerves and blood vessels and muscles run through, so it's pretty crowded. And unfortunately, when we hold our wrists in that flexion for a long period of time, we can get some inflammation and overuse, which is called carpal tunnel syndrome which leads to numbness, tingling, loss of strength, pain in the hands. And the alternatively, when we go to the opposite side where there's a lot of wrist extension, and most people don't notice this until they're doing a push-up, some type of crawl, or if they're a weightlifter or you want to get into weightlifting and you try to do a front squat, which is where you hold the bar on the front of your shoulders, people go, oh, my wrist really hurt. And so with that, there's other things we'll look at in terms of the shoulder and elbows. But if you've ever had problems with one of those two areas, in general, it may be a good time to take a look at your wrist, okay? So 
a few quick assessment tools you can always look at is if you place your palms together and then you lift, so palms are facing together and you lift your elbows up, basically you're going to stretch out your palm. What you want to look at is called, you want 90 degrees of passive wrist flexibility so that if you pull your hand, so you're not actually, you're using something else, a wall or something to stretch your hand out. You want to be able to get to a 90 degree angle between the wrist and the forearm. Alternatively, you also want a 90 degree angle of wrist flexion. So that's where the palm faces down and there's again the other side. So you're doing both of those. And that's with something helping you, okay? And then those are passive measures. Then we have our active measures, which are a little bit more direct, okay? So that's gonna be how much you can take that hand and move it with nothing else. So that's just using your own muscles. So that's, you want at least 70 to 90 degrees of wrist flexion and then at least 70 to 90 degrees of wrist extension where the wrist is open, okay? And then third on that is the rotation. And so what's called is, it's supination and pronation, but you don't need to know that. It's just if you put your elbow down and you put your thumb straight up, if you're like on a table, you wanna be able to turn and open your hand so your palm faces up at 90 degrees from that starting point, and then you wanna be able to turn your hand so the palm faces down at 90 degrees. So. All that to be said, you want to be able to bend and open your wrist and then rotate side to side without pain to at least 90 degrees each way under your own control. The next part of that is looking at your fingers. And a fun little test you can do is to sit there with your fingers, unless you're driving. I mean, I guess you could use one hand, but be safe. And you're going to see if you could touch each of your fingers to each one. And so that means your pinky, your thumb, obviously your thumb can touch all your fingers, but can your pinky touch all your fingers? and then your ring finger, can that touch all of your fingers? So work through and see if all your fingers can touch one another. If you can't, that's not good, and we'll keep working on that. So work through that, work through that. You've got your wrist flexion, extension, rotation, and then your finger mobility. That will tell you if you have any pain or discomfort or weakness in that. If that's any signs of pain or you can't do those easily, that's one you wanna work on, okay? So the next step is how do you fix that? So you can do things if you've ever been in a quadruped, which is all four, your hands and knees on the ground. You can put your hands on the ground and stretch them. Or you can do what's called a prayer pose, where you put your palms together and then raise your elbows up to the side and stretching out. Anything you can do with your wrist to improve the mobility and the range of motion. The most important thing you want to think about when you're doing any type of mobility is that it doesn't change overnight. And there's no one event that will ever change your mobility unless you have a surgery, which is a different thing. Mobility improvements are like putting a little WD-40 and grease on top of a joint or a door hinge or anything that's rusty. It takes a little bit of oil, a little bit of oil and a lot of movement. So think a few hundred, a few thousand repetitions just back and forth gently and consistently to improve that. And another way that I always talk to people about mobility is that you are mobile enough to do what you normally do in your daily life. So if you ever want to improve your mobility, let's say it's anything else, your neck, your hip, your elbows, whatever it is, you have to find a way to improve, include that movement into your daily life. Otherwise, it takes a tremendous amount of self-discipline and consistency to, to just add something else in. Does that make sense? So an analogy is if you're trying to be able to squat deeper, figure out a way to squat through your daily life. Instead of just kneeling down to get something off the ground, squat down, you know, think about including more movement that you want to be able to do every single day of your life. And that will help tremendously. But there's also things is understanding that 
as you are, one of the things about training is that it, it gives us a time where we can artificially create situations where we have access to different exercises, movements that we may not otherwise. You may not always be able to do a pull up because you don't have a bar, or you may not always be able to do a weighted squat because you don't have something to get the weight on your back, but you can in a gym, okay? So it's kind of like fake work, but it still can be done with a purpose if you do it well, but you have to train for all the different places and ways your body can move. So the most important thing when you're looking at actually improving your rib, wrist strength and your grip strength is understanding that your forearm muscles and your hand muscles are all correlated and interlocked. So that all goes to grip. And one of the things people talk about the most in terms of improving your strength is improving your grip strength because how hard, how heavy you can pick something up, how much you can hold on to completely changes everything else. And so one of the uh, biggest indicators in terms of longevity and mortality risk in elderly, elderly populations is grip strength. And so if you are not, and that probably comes because it's easier for them to test, you get someone to grab something and squeeze, but as your grip strength goes down, the more likely you are to be dying or not healthy. So yeah, that should just scare you a little bit. But what we want to think about is we have three main pronations, which means a hand positions that we can be in. And so we're going to look at this in terms of a pull-up. A pull-up where your hands face away and they're out to the side, the typical pull-up, that is a pronated, so the palms are facing away from you. Then there's a neutral grip where the hands are facing each other, so you turn 90 degrees, so your thumbs are pointing back at you. There's a neutral grip pull-up or a neutral grip position. It's neither here nor there. And then there's supinated, so that's going to be your typical chin-up where your palms are facing your head and you pull yourself up. Hanging grip is an excellent way because it kind of forces you in a situation where you really have to hold on and work into this new range of motion because it's loaded. One of the best ways to improve strength and in a new range of motion is to load it because we have to, if we're just doing our body weight kind of floating through air and swinging our arms around, there's not really much that's forcing you to make a change, right? If you take a uh, empty cardboard box and put it over your head, you can put that wherever you want. But then if you take a 15 pound dumbbell, there's a limited range of motion because you now have to stabilize it, okay? So one of the biggest things you can do is change up the grip you're doing in the gym or whatever you're doing. If you always tend to drive and write and do everything with your palm facing down in this kind of pronated palms down position, open that up. Do some chin ups or some body weight rows, do some different grips on a bench press or using dumbbells. TRXs, dumbbells, kettlebells, bodyweight movements are all great opportunities to change up what you get. And the most important thing